Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. I, bought, I brought an illustration for us this morning. This is, um, this is an animal trap. Yes. Um, so this is a, a device intended to, uh, you would uh, mount it or hide it in the woods, and an animal would come, press his paw against the trap. The, the jaws would clasp around the arm, and then the trapper would come at whatever point and dispose of the animal. So it's a brutal thing. Um, the whole idea is pretty brutal. And I'm going to set it for us here. <clears throat> so um, if, if I get my hand caught in this, you guys will always remember this sermon. <clears throat> right here. Let's see if I can get it. All right, there it is. Okay. <clears throat> you know, today we're going to talk about how Satan is a spiritual trapper. He has set traps in your life, in my life, uh, in our church, and he wants nothing more to brothers and sisters of, of uh, one another, children of Christ, to walk right into this trap, and he would love it if no one would warn anyone about this trap. His perfect idea of effectiveness is to have people in a church walk up to a trap and no one warn them, call them out, grab them, anything. That's what Satan, that's how Satan works. But you know what? Part of being a follower of Jesus is having difficult conversations. And it takes a difficult conversation to warn someone about a trap that Satan has set for them in their life. You know, my hope today is to do two things. First is to remind you that hard conversations are often loving conversations. And the second thing is I wanted to get you to have one of those hard conversations with a loved one to help them avoid one of the traps of the enemy. So we are in our third week of our Recalibrate series where we're looking to recalibrate our lives according to God's plan for our lives. And before we jump into Revelation chapter 2, let me pray for a moment and we'll settle our hearts. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his word. Lord, remind us afresh that we have an enemy that enemy has set traps for us, and it is our responsibility to warn our brothers and sisters about those traps that they're walking into. Lord, help us to have a renewed heart, a renewed mind, and renewed strength in order to warn our friends, our family, our children, our loved ones about those traps that Satan has set in their lives. So help us have ears to hear and eyes to see Fresh, what you have for us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, uh, look with me, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. I'll read this whole letter from Jesus to the church at Pergamum, and then we will discuss it together. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, 
even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Well, this letter was written by Jesus to the church in Pergamum in modern-day Turkey. Now, Pergamum was a very religious city. Jesus himself says it is where Satan's throne is. This was almost uh, certainly referring to a great temple to the Greek god Asclepius. Now, Asclepius was a 4th century BC healer. Um, Asclepius' daughter was reportedly named Hygieia, which we get the word hygiene from. So people would come to Pergamum to worship at the altar if they were sick or if their family members were sick. And there was also a prominent temple to Zeus. Now, the religiosity of Pergamum made it especially difficult for Christians because Christianity teaches that there is a one true God, and we know him through his son, Jesus. And it is only Jesus who has the power to heal, both physical healing and spiritual healing. And the Pergamites did not like this teaching. And the church at Pergamum was facing great persecution to the point that there was a man named Antipas who was killed, was martyred because of his faith. In Jesus. But we see that the church held fast to the name of Jesus. They clung tightly to the message of the gospel. And Jesus here is saying, hey, thumbs up. Thumbs up to the church at Pergamum. You guys were faithful and strong, even to the point of this severe persecution. And I think Jesus, if he writes us a letter, would give us a thumbs up. I think CVC is faithful to the teaching of Jesus, even when it's unpopular in our culture. You know, even recently at our church, we have developed statements about marriage and sexual practices that is very unpopular in our culture. But we are clinging to the teachings of Christ, and we believe that Jesus is giving us here at CVC a thumbs up for faithfulness. But there was a problem. There was a problem in the church at Pergamum. There was a group within the church who had begun to mix the teaching of Jesus with the teaching of false religions. And the result of that intermixing was compromised convictions, especially around the area of sexual practice and personal values. We look look at Uh, Look with me at verse 14, where Jesus gives the exhortation to the church, where he says that some of you, some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel 
so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. What is this about? I have never met a person named Balaam or Balak. What is Jesus talking about? He's actually talking about a story we find in Numbers chapter 22 through 25. You see, the nation of Israel was on their conquest out of Egypt into the promised land. And they had encamped around the nation of Moab, whose king was named Balak. So Balak sees this great horde about to overcome the nation of Moab. So he hires a guy named Balaam. Balaam was this spiritualist for hire. Um, in, the, in the most often in religious views of the, that day, there were many gods and they would call on certain gods to help them in need. And we actually see about that this guy Balaam was kind of a, a superstar back in the day. There's some Babylonian ruins who would have his name, Balaam, uh, scripted on one of the pillars talking about coming and pronouncing some curse. Well, that's what Balak hires Balaam to do. He wants Balaam to pronounce a curse on the nation of Israel. So Balaam goes up on top of this mountain. He tries to pronounce a curse and all that comes out is a blessing. <laughs> this actually happens three times. So Balaam tells Balak, look, I don't know what to tell you. Um, whatever God is protecting this nation, I can't do anything against. But I will give you a suggestion. Look, we can't overcome this, this God of the Israelites, but I bet we can get them. I bet we can get their people, his people. So what happened was, Balak set a trap for the men of Israel. He sent all of his most attractive temple prostitutes, it was common in that day, to go before the men of Israel and to pr practice a worship ceremony to the god Chemosh. And part of this worship ceremony was cooking meat and temple prostitution. And the men of Israel walked right into that trap. And the consequences were devastating. You see, this mixing of the worship of Yahweh, the one true God, and the worship with other gods was beginning to happen in the church at Pergamum. And you know, I think it's even happening in our church here at CVC. You see, the teaching of Balaam, what Jesus, Jesus is talking about, is what theologians call spiritual syncretism. Spiritual syncretism is mixing the worship of Jesus with the worship of anything else. The Pergamites were probably worshiping Asclepius or Zeus or Jupiter. Now, we in Northeast Ohio, I, you know, I never met someone who worshiped Asclepius, but we do know people who worship their own personal autonomy, maybe a hobby or a recreation. Maybe it's their own comfort. Maybe it's their own freedom. We see here in Northeast Ohio, people valuing something higher than they value Jesus Christ. And that, by definition, is idolatry. See, I like to think of spiritual syncretism as eating from a spiritual buffet. Like I, I have a, some family in Mississippi. So like every restaurant is a buffet. And so you go, you, what you do, you go, you get the plate, and then you get to choose whatever you want to put on the plate. You know, maybe you put, you know, a little bit of prime rib and you put some mac and cheese and maybe, 
Usually in the South, there's like one little thing of vegetables, and then everything else is some carb. So you, you pile it on, you kind of get to choose whatever, whatever you want. Well, spiritual syncretism is that way, but with, with views about faith. You know, I'll take Jesus, I'll put Jesus on my plate, and maybe I'll take a scoop of personal autonomy. Maybe I'll take a little side order of freedom. Maybe a little, a little uh, prosperity gospel sauce on top. And then we garnish it with a little, a little donkey or maybe a little elephant. And we say, ah, here, this is, this, is, this is the source of authority. But when we do that, what we're saying is we get to decide what's right. We get to decide, get to decide what's good. We get to decide what's best. And you know what just happens to happen when someone does that? Their life becomes all about them. And they, get, they begin to rationalize sin and begin to rationalize harming others. That's exactly what was happening in the nation of Israel. That what was, is what was happening in the church at Pergamum. And I know that happens even in our church where we raise something higher in value than our relationship with Jesus Christ. So verse 16, Jesus calls the church at Pergamum to repent. He says, look, you need to repent. You need to turn from, you need to turn around, change your mind, turn from that course and go another way. It's interesting, the, the, the command repent, it is in the singular. So what that means is, Jesus is not just telling that group that was following the teaching of Balaam. He's not just telling them to repent. He's telling the whole church to repent. Well, what's that about? I thought there was just one group sinning. There are two groups in the church at Pergamum. One group who was walking into the trap of Satan, and the other group was just letting him do it. See, I think the biggest issue when it comes to this letter in our church is that there are so many of us who are unwilling to have that conversation with someone as they are one step away from springing the trap of Satan in their life. Now, I don't know why the church of Pergamum didn't talk to those people about the course that they were on. You know, maybe they were busy. That's a good reason, right? Maybe they just, they just, maybe just didn't have enough time. You know, maybe they really hadn't talked to that person in a while and it would be an awkward conversation. Right? That, that's a legitimate excuse, right? Or, or, or maybe they uh, were concerned on, you know, that, that, might, that might damage our relationship. You know, maybe that person might, might not like me. That's a legitimate excuse, right? You see, whatever their excuse in Pergamum, whatever reason they use to rationalize not talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever it is, Jesus says, look, you need to repent. Jesus is telling us that too. We know there are people in our lives who are two steps away from the trap of Satan and we're too busy. <laughs> we got too much stuff going on. Oh, it might be an awkward conversation. You know what? I've been there. I've been there. I've seen someone walk to the foyer and say, I need to talk to that person and I never make it happen. So I need to repent. 
just like I think many of us in this room need to repent. You see, Satan, what he said, he, has, he had tricked a group within the church based on this teaching of Balaam. You see in, the, in scripture, it says, there's a word that Satan says, he taught Balak to put a stumbling block. Now this word stumbling block is from the Greek word. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. It's the word scandalon. The word scandalon is what we get our word scandal from. But it's actually a proper noun. Scandalon is a proper noun for the trigger that sets off an animal trap. You see, this technology has been around way before the time of the New Testament. So the scandalon, the trigger on this trap, there's a, there's a little metal plate. So when someone or something pushes that plate, that's what triggers the trap to go off and what triggers the great consequence, whether for me and my hand or for a wild animal. You see, faithful men and women in the church could see the trap. They could see the scandal on the trigger, and they could see their brothers and sisters walking into that trap. And they were not willing to have that conversation with them. See, you know, we all know intuitively. Say up my neighbor, Ann. We live in uh, Parma Heights. We've got a great neighbor. Her name's Ann. What if Ann saw a man sneak into my backyard and set one of these traps, knowing that I have a three-year-old and a 17-month-old that loves to play in the backyard? And what if Ann said, oh, I, I need to tell Josh about that, but I'm really busy, or... You know, I haven't seen Josh um, all winter. We've kind of been holed up. It, it might be a little awkward to have that conversation with Josh about the trap in his backyard. And imagine if my wife, Deborah, and my, two, my, my son, Judah, and my daughter, Rebecca, were playing in the backyard and having a lot of fun, and Ann sees me through a window and says, you know, I... It would just be too awkward. I, I can't have that conversation. It's too uncomfortable. And what if one of my children or my wife or myself stepped on this thing? It would break one of my, it would break our bones. It would tear our ankles, our hands, our legs. If one of my children would have sprung that trap, their bodies would never have been the same. They would have been disformed for the rest of their life. And you know, just as well as I, that my neighbor, Anne, would be partially responsible for that. Because she saw the trap and she knew it was there. She saw us walking into it, but was unwilling to have that conversation. You know, Jesus says, that we should be more fearful of the one who can both throw our body and soul into hell than just be fearful of the one who can just destroy the body. See, we have an enemy who has set a trap in the lives of our loved ones, but we are unwilling to have that conversation. And if that's you, I know it's been me. We need to repent. We need to change our mind. We need to change our direction. We need to be willing to do whatever it takes to warn someone. 
And Jesus tells us that to repent. So how do we know that we're repenting? Well, we know we actually have a repentant heart by doing the thing we have not been doing. And that thing that the church at Pergamum has not been doing is what the Bible calls exhortation. We see this concept all throughout scripture. James 5 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Galatians 6 says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, if you, when you, when I do not exhort, ultimately we're sinning against our heavenly father. You see, our heavenly father has told his children, hey, you guys are to watch out for one another. If you see someone in trouble, you're supposed to help. And you know, some of you are a little older than your other brothers and sisters, and you're gonna need to be especially careful to watch out for them and to protect them. So when we don't do that, we're ultimately sinning against our heavenly father and we need to repent. We need to be a people who practice exhortation. Exhortation, the original language means a calling of someone alongside to help. You know, I think a, a, a definition I like better is this, having that conversation. You know what I'm talking about. Having that conversation. That conversation about the use of money, sexuality, maybe the words that come out of their mouth. Maybe it's a conversation about their health, who they're spending time with, what they're watching on TV, how they're using social media. Maybe it's their work performance. Maybe it's how they respond to their spouse or their children or their friends or their roommates. Whatever it is, we need to be willing to have that conversation with those that we love. Exhortation, it's not just pointing out someone's sin. It's saying, hey, let me help you in this area of your life. Can we commit today to be a church who's willing to do that? who's willing to put relationship, our energy, our effort on the line to keep one of our brothers and sisters from irreparable damage in their life, in their family, in their marriage, in their career, in their schooling. Look, I know exhort, exhorting, it's awkward, <laughs> it's scary, it's difficult, it's time consuming, it's involved but man, it is loving. It is one of the most loving things you can do. I know we all need to repent of this. <laughs> we all need to change our hearts when we think of this. But my question for you is this, who do you need to have that conversation with? Who is it? Is it a coworker? A friend? 
Is it a neighbor? Maybe it's someone in your life group. Maybe it's a child. That's hard. Maybe it's a spouse. That's even harder. You know, maybe it's a parent. Maybe the hardest of them all. Who do you need to have that conversation with? And look, I know this is not easy. You know, myself and uh, about four other pastors, we sat down. We thought, you know, we need to provide our church with maybe some steps in how to do this. Maybe you have someone who came to mind and said, yes, that person I need to have that conversation with. Well, here's some steps you can follow to begin to have that conversation. First, we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to ask God, the Holy Spirit, for the oomph that we need to have that conversation. Step two, we need to take the log out of our own eye. You know, we need to make sure that we don't have unconfessed sin in this area. Now, an area that you um, feel like you need to exhort someone in, you don't have to be sinless in that area. You just have to be repentant. You know, one of the most um, encouraging things for someone when you say, hey, I see this area in your life. Look, I failed in that area too, but God's really showed me some victory. Let me help you in this area. Step three, you need to check your own heart to make sure that it's for your friend out of a heart of love. It's not because you're mad at them. It's not because you're, uh, you know, they did something to you, but it's with a truly heart of love. Step four, it's the hardest step. Do it. Just do it. You know, here's a, you'll see a, 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 a pretend conversation on the screen that might help you think through how best to phrase a conversation you're going to have with someone. It says, hey, thanks for meeting with me. I want you to know that I am grateful for our friendship. You know, I see the image of Christ in you. You know, here's the good I see in you. And you affirm their life. You know, hey, I absolutely want what's best for you, but I don't want to dance around the issue. Here's my concern. This is when you share your concern. Hey, I realize I may be wrong, but as your friend, I'm concerned for you. I want you to know that I'm willing to help you or point you to someone who can. I am very much still in your corner. I know God's grace is sufficient for you. How do you think I can best help? And then step five is you follow up with them afterward to make sure that they know that you care. You know, I'm certain that there are people in the room who are thinking, why didn't someone have a conversation like that with me when I walked into the trap that I'm stuck in now? See, there are people in the room who they are stuck in the trap of the enemy. They walked right in, and no matter how hard you try to pull, to jerk, to get loose, the teeth of Satan's trap just goes deeper and deeper into your life. That may be because you've never put your faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is the only one who can free us and set us free from the trap of the enemy. And if you are stuck in Satan's trap, you will always be stuck until you release your life to Jesus Christ. 
And you, you recognize that I have no power in my own to be free from this trap. It is only Jesus' death on the cross that gives me the power to free me from Satan's trap. If you're experiencing that, if the Holy Spirit is pushing in on your chest, all you have to do is say a prayer like this on the screen in your own heart. Say, Jesus, help me. I'm trapped. I'm trapped by my sin and I can't escape on my own. I believe that you alone came to free me from this trap because you took my place on the cross. I repent of my sins. I desire to live a life of freedom in Christ. And I commit my life to you, in Jesus' name, amen. If you say a prayer like that in your own heart at any time, Jesus will come and free you from the trap of the enemy. And then he gives you a new family, a new life, and he gives you the family of God to come alongside you and help you in your healing process. If you made that commitment today, just mark it on the response card. Let us know so that we can walk through the healing process in your life. You know, I think many of us think, look, this concept, this whole exhorting thing is super hard. It's really uncomfortable. I don't like even the idea of it. I don't like people exhorting me. I don't like the idea of me exhorting someone else. And I understand that. I understand. I've been fearful to the point where God has told me to exhort someone, and I haven't. But Jesus promises great reward for those who are willing to take the risk and exhort someone. Look with me at verse 17. It says, to the one who conquers, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. You see, in this day and age, if you were accused of a crime, you would go before a judge. And after the trial, the judge would either present a black stone for a guilty verdict or a white stone for an innocent verdict. And we know that Jesus, through his death on the cross and through faith, you have been pronounced innocent before God. You have already been tried in the mind of God. You are forever and only innocent before him. But I tell you what, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that, is it not? What Jesus is saying is that if you begin to take on the obedience and the risk that goes into exhorting someone, you begin to feel God working in your life. And you begin to do things you never would have done without the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you act in obedience, what that does is that affirms God's presence in your life. And your assurance of salvation begins to be strengthened. And you begin to see God's work in your life. And you know, wow, God's got a plan for me and he's working through me. You see, God wants to give you and remind you to have a white stone that you're innocent before him. How do you do that? How do you have greater confidence in your salvation? You take a risk and be used by him. God wants to use you in this area. Are you willing to do it? I want to close with this. A question, a challenge, and a prayer. Question is this. Who do you need to have that conversation with? Who is it? And if you be so bold, write it on a piece of paper or put it into your phone as a reminder. 
Here's a challenge. When will you have that conversation? If you're serious about it, you're going to put a time or a date or a window to have that conversation. When are you going to do it? Here's the final. Here's a prayer. You know, last week, Pastor Rick talked about being fearless and faithful. Well, we need to be fearless and faithful in this area. So here's a prayer. It says, Lord, help me be fearless and faithful to have that conversation with, and that's someone's name, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. In a moment, I want us all to pray this prayer out loud. And when we get to that space, I want to give you time in your own heart to pray for the person that the Lord is putting on your heart to have that conversation with. And we're going to, Nate's going to come up and play a little bit, and she's going to give you an extended time to pray for yourself, to be fearless and faithful, and to pray for that person that God even now would be softening their heart in that area. So together, let's pray this prayer out loud. Lord, help me be fearless and faithful to have that conversation with, and I give you some time of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your son who's willing to exhort the church at Pergamum, Lord, who's willing to exhort us in our own hearts when you gave us salvation. Lord, thank you that your son was willing to do whatever it took to free us from the trap of the enemy, even to the point of giving his own life. Father, may we be willing to give of our lives for our brothers and sisters to warn them of the trap of the enemy. Lord, thank you that you have saved us from those traps. Lord, thank you you have spared us from many of those And Lord, for those that are struggling through the consequences of being caught in Satan's trap, Lord, remind them that you are the true healer, that you bind up our wounds, and it's for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So help us, Lord, as we become a community that's willing to put it on the line, to have that conversation for their good, For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.